following is a presentation of Cornerstone Bible Church in Virginia Beach. For more information on Cornerstone, as well as additional sermon downloads, please visit cbcvirginia.com. Let's read our passage, uh, Mark 10. We've been in 1 through 12 now for like six weeks, <laughs> but um, we're moving on to 13 through 16. So if you have your Bibles, open up Mark 10, 13 through 16. Let me read. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms, and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. Let's pray. God of heaven and of earth, maker of all peoples everywhere, in your honesty and beauty, you have chosen to create mankind, all of mankind, every one of us made in your image, and we are a work of beauty. Each person, young and old, male and female, white and black, bears your image, God. Everything that your hand has made is good. Because you are good. But sin has separated us from you. And in fact, sin has separated us from one another. And has driven us deep into our hearts the need to exert ourselves on and over each other. We love to measure ourselves not as you say to against the perfect law of liberty. But instead against other humans. We love to look around us and see how everyone else is doing and compare ourselves so that we find someone who's less than us and feel good about ourselves. Gracious Lord, the one who is the true measure, let us, see, let us see you today as Lord and King and let us see ourselves how you see us. May you open our eyes and our ears today that we might see and listen to what you have for us in your word. Make us to be like the blind man who began to see, even if it means that at first we just see men as trees walking, but as time passes and you work in us and your grace prevails, may we see everything clearly. King Jesus, we believe, but help our unbelief. It's in your name, amen. So we have been on the subject of divorce now. We've kind of parked there for a couple weeks. We had a couple off weeks with a picnic. We were back and forth. And we are now coming up. We, this is an important time because we realize that the divorce issue is it's relevant to every single one of us in the room like Stacy talked about. Uh, the world has its own definition of what it is. And it's important for us to stop and do this and work through it. But it's my job today to kind of bring us back into where we were before, into Mark's narrative, to bring us back and to find out where we're at and to continue on and what, what Mark is trying to tell us in his account, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. So um, let's back up a little bit. If you, I'm going to kind of talk right directly to you and see if we can kind of remember some of the things that we've already known to be true about what Mark has been doing lately. He does, if you remember this, there are three instances that Jesus foretells of his death. Remember this? He has three different times. In 831, which we've already passed, 931, which we've now passed also, and then in 1033 through 34. We're going to have all those different times Jesus is going to say, the Son of Man will be killed. 
will resurrect and will live again. He's going to tell about different things about that time and how he's going to Jerusalem. That's his purpose, is to go there to be killed and to be sacrificed. After this, each time, if you remember this, Stacy's gone through this and said it a couple times, it's better for us to hear again and again, especially as we're entering back into the story. We're going to find, after he does this, the disciples have a big failure. Do you remember this? Like the first time they, they argue over whatever, and the next time they argue over whatever, and then and they're in the boat, and they're not listening, and they're not trusting him. The second time, and we're going to go into this later, they fail again, and the third time we'll find again that they fail. After these times, he teaches them because he recognizes their failure. Each time, they happen, even t- each time it happens, they, they fail, and Jesus begins to teach what this kingdom is actually all about. So let's go back to 931. We've already passed 831. We're, we're past 931, but that's probably the helpful place for us to start here today. So if you have your Bibles, take a look over. I'm going to kind of touch over these and kind of skip over them so we can kind of get to the point where we're at in 1013 this morning. 931, Jesus again tells his disciple of his own death. So you can look at it right there. In 34, they obviously don't understand because Jesus catches them, if you remember this, discussing who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Failure. <laughs> I just told you about my death, and you're talking about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Come on, guys. So in 35, the next verse, look what he says. Brings us up to next, his next big subject. Jesus' next big teaching subject, his lesson. He teaches that if anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Very much opposite of what they had just been talking about. Hey, are you going to be the greatest? No, no, no. I'm definitely going to be the greatest. No, no, no. James has got a pretty good greatest you know, thing going on over here. Well, no. Jesus says, if you want to be the greatest, you have to be the last of all. And the servant of all. In 36, Jesus takes a child in his arms. He teaches his disciples how they ought to receive children. Remember this? And he reminds them that they ought to receive children too, no matter what the world thinks of them. So, Jesus, in this moment, <laughs> the children are insignificant, but not to Jesus. They're not insignificant. In 939, Jesus explains how to view those who do things in his name, but don't report to the disciples. Remember this? The disciples' main problem was that this guy was casting out demons. Like he was doing it in Jesus' name, but remember what their problem was? He's not following us. Remember that? (laughs) They're they're worried about that this guy is not following us. This guy was not a part of the disciples' exclusive club, right? But that doesn't matter to Jesus. He's doing it in his name for the sake of his kingdom. In 10, 1 through 12, this is what we spent some time on here before, uh, we saw through the subject of divorce that Jesus protects the helpless. And, and he shows and the, the value of those that the religious majority of the time, they considered them to be totally valueless or, or you know, at least small. We're talking about women in general. Now we come to our passage. Right, uh, read or listen to it again and see if... Uh, you can start to understand this bigger picture, all right? Let me want to read it again. Catch and see if we can pick up on this theme. Remember, the children, significant to Jesus. Those who aren't part of the exclusive disciple club, not good for the disciples, but Jesus says, no, 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 they're, they're doing good. They're doing the right thing. Women who are looked down upon, Jesus says, no, they're valued. They ought to be protected and loved. Let's read. Verse 13, and they were bringing children to him 
that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. In this culture, children are insignificant. In the, in the culture we're looking back and, and, and kind of being a viewer of. It's hard to understand this because our own American culture has placed a great value on children. Uh, we have households that revolve around one child, a lot of you know, child-centered parenting even. Um, one scholar writes this about this, this phenomenon that we are, it's very difficult for us to understand. He says, the modern West regards tenderness to children as a virtue, as what we ought to be doing. Relief organizations appeal for support by showing little lives disfigured by hunger and war. Politicians secure votes by, what, holding and kissing infants. Ancient Jewish society, however, did not regard children with the same affection. Children, like women, get that, derive their position in society primarily from their relationship to adult males, men. Childhood was typically regarded as an unavoidable, unavoidable interim between birth and adulthood. Basically, you know, you had a little monster of potential. That's all you had. He was not viewed as significant or of someone of status. In this time, there's no, and this is only going to hit some of you, so if you don't understand this comment, that's okay. There are no Ron Hamilton songs like Cherish the Moment. Or, uh, there, you know, there's no, to- for the rest of you that watch TV, there are no weepy, weepy Toyota commercials of like a dad looking back at his daughter's young life all the way through. Sorry, those that love that commercial. <laughs> they had no status. No one is saying, listen to your child. Or even worse, listen to your inner child. All right? It's an absurd idea in this age. Let's walk through this passage and try to understand it then. How are they actually doing this? Let's go to verse 13. Go back. Let's, we want to walk through this verse by verse. And they're bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. This would have been a pretty normal thing, a pretty normal event for any of the different uh, rabbis or godly men, the men of God, if you will, that came through the areas. People would want them to lay hands on the children, to bless them, if you will. Jesus was already known for his healing touch, right? He had, he had caused blind men to see again. He was able to heal the sick and lame, make people walk again who couldn't stretch out a hand and it came forth. So we definitely would like our, our children to be touched by this guy, Jesus. It's understandable. It would have been like, uh, you know, a parent trying to push their child through the crowd on, into game five onto the court for, to see LeBron James. All right, like push him on there. Hey, let's get some autographs, LeBron, my kid, Jimmy loves you. Like there's no way a parent would even get close his coaching staff, his bodyguards, the whole organization would keep people off that. That's, there's no way. You don't get access to him. He's way too important. And his bodyguards, like I said, would definitely bounce you. So naturally, and remember this concept, naturally, when parents brought their children to Jesus for basic blessings, his disciples want to restrict that access. No, 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 no. You're not important enough. There are many more people important people that need to see Jesus back up. They rebuke him. Shoo, get away. 
uh, you should not be bothering us than this important man. There are many others who are more deserving of his presence. Verse 13 says that disciples rebuked those that brought children to Jesus. Verse 14, when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. And he said to them, let the children come to me. Don't hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. He sees this happening. He sees the bodyguards pushing back the kids. They're making the choice to be the bodyguards. Remember that. His inner circle pushing back the children and says to them, he's visibly upset. And if I don't use, I don't use the word, that term indignant very often. It's like to be visibly upset about something that is unjust. Something is happening is ticking you off. Jesus is mad. He's angry about this. We're familiar with the word indignant, like I said, but he's showing it. <laughs> He says, let the little children come to me. Don't forbid them because it is people like this that make up the kingdom of heaven. Remember, if this sounds familiar, there's a reason. 937, all right? Do you remember what happened in 937? He says, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. He's already made the point that you need to receive these children. Either disciples were not listening, or more likely than that is probably that they didn't understand, and, or perhaps they just don't believe him. They're like, yeah, that's fine, Jesus, right, we get, you know, like, be political, love the little children, right. <laughs> if, they didn't, if he didn't make it clear before, he's about to make it very clear, crystal clear. But he's, he, he has hit on something that's even bigger than just the fact that we ought to be kind to children. Remember the larger context here. All right, he's, he's hit on something. He says it here in verse 15. He says that something bigger is at hand here. He's going to explain again the kingdom of God and what it is like. Something the disciples and everyone else, as a matter of fact, were really struggling with. To understand what this kingdom of God was like. To understand the order of it. To understand what was important in the kingdom of God. All they know is the things that are around them. They know their own Jewish culture. They know the Roman culture. They know the things that the world does. But this idea of kingdom of God, literally it's otherworldly. It's different completely. So Jesus is here to explain it to them. Verse 15, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. This is loaded. This is probably the crux of our passage here to understand. I think it's hard to understand, so this is where we're going to spend some time. Break it down here. There's two main verbs. There's two main actions that are happening. There's receiving and there's entering, right? There's receiving and entering. The basic concept states that if a person does not receive in a particular manner, there will be no entering into the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. The entering part, I think you understand that probably, the entering part is like one's eternal destiny, being with him forever, being part of this kingdom now and forever. It's kind of that big picture you are now in. But the receiving, ah, it's much different here. He's using many, he's used this word receive a couple times, but what is he talking about? It's much more to do with one, the way that one reacts towards God and the attitude that he has about these realities of the kingdom that he's been talking about. It's how you receive it, if you will, how you take in this information and process it. How do you trust it? How do you, what are you going to do about it? That's this idea of receiving. What is he going to do about it then? So again, the crux here for us to understand, what does it mean then if it's about receiving, what does it mean to receive the kingdom of God like a child? 
It's often been said that, uh, you know, to receive the kingdom of God like a child is to be humble and uh, innocent and uh, gentle, right? Like, those are good ideas. The problem is uh, my children are neither um, humble or gentle or anything but innocent. Uh, I think that might have been placed into the text by us from the outside thinking how we ought to approach the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? We're making our own ideas here. We're putting it on top and saying, oh, this is what it means to be a child. Because like, we know all the rest of the stuff about being a child. They're whiny. They poop all the time. They're gross. They're, they're angry to one another. They fight. Uh, I can think I can say this. My daughter, Afton, and Ayla DeBolt are the best of frenemies. They love and hate each other with a passion. I mean, they're, they'll be having a great time and making merry melodies, and then they'll be fighting and hitting, and we, we just, uh, we don't know what to do, except God, please help them. But we understand that that's not what a childlike coming and receiving the kingdom is like. That, like, that cannot be it. So the other thing that I have trouble with here is that that's not what the context is pointing to. Let me explain what I mean by that. Consider, if you will, the lineup of people that Mark has gone through already. The last three stories, he's explained. A child in 935, a man ministering in Jesus' name but not part of the exclusive disciple posse in uh, 939, and now, oh, the women in the beginning of, uh, of chapter 10, and now a child again. What do these have in common? Why is he telling these stories of these different people or bringing them up? Or why is Mark putting them in front of us here to understand this section? None of them are part of the greatest category. Does that make sense? Like they're not like any of these different people are not going to be on the who's who's list or the who's who list. They're not going to get to the front of the line for special treatment or able to get in, in a, you know, in a club that no one else can get into because of their status. They're not that part. So what is it about children that's common to the rest of them? It's their position. They have no rights. They have no status. They have uh, nothing to bring to the table. Nothing. The thing about a child is that they have nothing to offer at all. They simply realize that they need whatever is being given to them. No one is like a child who will re receive a gift that they, you know, that they, especially if they don't deserve it, they'll still take it. <laughs> There's a story about a man who sets coins on the front of his booth and uh, puts a sign there and it says, take one. And they go all day long and passers-by come by and they all are like, there's a trick here. I'm not taking that stupid coin, no way. End of the day comes and uh, he's getting ready to close up shop and someone comes by, these two little children. What do they do? Boom. They grab that and they go, thank you, and they're out. They get it. They receive the gift. They have no problem. They don't have to earn it. They don't have to do anything special. No song and dance. No special status. They understand. Uh, he's giving them and I'm going to take one. Because it's good for me. This is us. We are, or we ought to be, we ought to receive the kingdom of God like a child. Like a beggar. Like someone who has nothing. One scholar notes, in this story, children are not blessed for their virtues, like innocence and humility and gentleness like we talked about, but rather for what they lack. They come only as they are, small, powerless, without sophistication, 
as overlooked and dispossessed by society. And that's what Jesus actually commends about these, this group, the group of children. This is the way we are to receive the kingdom also. As children, as those who cannot earn or deserve the kingdom. This understanding tears down every wall of racism, sexism, classism, intellectualism. It tears them all down. Any ism that you can think of that would put one person over another because what they think they are. It tears it all down. No one's earthly high status will buy them a place in the kingdom of God. In fact, any attitude that places any value on status is guaranteed not to enter the kingdom of God. We must receive it for what it is, a gift. We can do or be nothing to gain eternal life. We can do or be nothing to be part of this kingdom. We can do or be nothing to be part of what his kingdom is all about for him to accept us. And so we should recognize our own need for smallness and the need to see others as equals at the foot of the cross. And one step more, by the way, we ought to also be servant of all. That ring a bell at all? Jesus may or may not have uh, already said something about this in 935. About being servant of all, that's the way that you'd be greatest. Verse 16. Jesus lives it. Verse 16 says, and he took them in his arms, and he blessed them, and just to make sure you understand, laying his hands on them. Mark is like, Mark isn't usually verbose. He's giving you more and more and more to let you understand that Jesus accepts and receives these children. Blessing them. He has time for them. It doesn't matter that they're children. He loves them and brings them in and lays his hands on them and blesses them. These are probably young children, like very young children, anywhere from infants to eight years old, that he can scoop them up in his arms. That's what we're talking about, people, that, that, don't, that don't have any status. The significant, excuse me, he blesses and lays his hands on them. And get this picture. The insignificant ones are loved and served by the king of the universe. Jesus himself showers them with blessing and love. He receives these children with compassion. He loves them. So what? I love, the, I love this question. So helpful. So what? So now do we do what with the 13 through 16? What do we do? It's built this case and understanding the bigger picture that Jesus is explaining how to be the greatest of all in the kingdom. He's already talked about the child the first time when he takes him in his hands. He's already talked about the man who is healing or uh, taking, casting out demons in Jesus' name, but he's not part of the, the disciples' posse. And talked about women who are, you know, less valued and not taken care of. And he talks about promoting them. And now he talks about that you have to be like a child, receive like a child to enter the kingdom of God. What are we to take from this? Hopefully, already things are flying in your head, thinking these things through. What do we do with this? How do we be like a child then? How does Jesus' teaching change me? How does this lesson help us be more like Jesus and change our hearts and live, you know, like people not that are in rebellion against God, but those who love and are becoming more like the, the image of his glorious son, Jesus? How, we're asking, so what? First, I began to think about the root of the problem here, the real issue that's underlying all of this. 
I began to understand or start think about how I view myself and God. So the first and greatest commandment is what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. So this is the first relationship that I think we ought to think about in this case. There are times when I think, and I, I don't think I'm alone here, there are times that I think if I'm just genuine enough in my repentance, or if, uh, you know, that God will accept me, or if I'm selfless enough in my service to others, or if I'm a good enough dad and I work hard at, at that, and I know Jesus helps me to do that, but if I do that and I keep it up and I am better at it, and, uh, you know, I, I show myself to be a good civil servant and, and loving you throughout the church, that somehow God will just see me a little better and that he will accept me and not that he wouldn't otherwise, but, you know, I mean, I want to, I wanna, you know, do right by him and, you know, I want to kind of, and underneath all of that is this low-lying thing that still, still happens in my heart that thinks that somehow what I do in my own power, presenting myself to him, will gain me favor or acceptance into the kingdom. A child has none of that. <laughs> they come with arms wide open saying, accept me, love me, help me. They need that gift. By his power and grace, we ought to ask him to crush those desires in our heart for us to make something of ourselves and present ourselves to him like he needs us on Team Jesus or something. He doesn't. That's so stupid. <laughs> he doesn't need us. He doesn't need children, by the way. That's what we are. We've talked about that throughout the, the gospel, throughout all scripture. His children, who he loves and cares for, as a mother hen gathers her chicks underneath, underneath her wings. That's what we are. Embrace that. Embrace your nothingness, your smallness. And I confess to you, uh, this week I had, it happened to me. I was, I was trying to think about how, you know, like there's one lesson here that's easy. We should love and receive children. That's very easy. He's saying that, right? But there's, what's the root of that issue? What's the problem when we don't do that? The real issue is pride. That we think we're better than we are. We just do. And we think that we're so good, even though it's not that good, but it's good enough that Jesus would actually want us to, you know, okay, now I can take you in. But rather, he desires us to be like children that come to him, asking him to do what only he can do. I think that's the first thing to the so what question. <laughs> Embrace and beg God to help you be small and understand who you are in him. We are his children. Uh, the second thing, as I look around our church body, I, I don't think we struggle with, uh, you know, forbidding children or rebuking them. We, I, I'd say we probably do a pretty good job. If you watch any uh, you know, even men here in our body, loving kids, taking care of them, watching other children's family, you know, the moms are taking care of, I mean, I think we have a pretty good um, demeanor and, you know, concept of what it means to love these children. Again, half of that is probably from society now that has, has risen children up, but I think we do better than that. And the fact is, if we didn't do a good job of that, we would probably have an uprising. So I understand that we're, we're decent at that, but, and that's for the users that are new, that's because we have like a million children back there. Um, we do a decent job of this, but God knows otherwise. I mean, excuse me, but how about the way we view the rest of the low status people in our lives? Whether it's on your street, whether it's in our city, whether it's at your work, whether it's your family who you don't like to visit. 
How do we view those people? Listen to me say it, those people, as though they're a different group from who I am. How do we view others that God has made in the image of God? And yeah, I'm talking about all the different categories. I'm talking about whether or not they're low class, whether they're a different color than you are, whether they're different uh, intellectual than you are. Man, I can't tell you how many times I, in my sinful nature, my, my, my sin, my rebellion, my pride, have not consciously but looked at others who are either they're, they're not smart and they're, they are jerks about it and they're proud about it. I'm like, you just need to back up. I'm just annoyed by you. I have to work with you. I have to work this situation out. I know, it sounds terrible, right? It's because it's wrong. It's sin. Because I think that somehow I'm better than they are and that I deserve a better life. I deserve a better position. I deserve, I don't know, better status in the kingdom of heaven. I don't think we say it out loud, but I think that's what we believe. So that's wrong. <laughs> he said, yeah, Chris, that's wrong. But nothing that I have accomplished or become makes me any better in the kingdom of heaven. I am to be, and we are to be, and this is the final word for today from, from what I'm, I'm looking at, his, looking at what Christ is telling us to do. We are to be servant of all men. Let's pray. God, we ask that um, you would help us. I would ask that you would help us today to be able to see you and to be able to see others uh, and even to see ourselves correctly. We love ourselves. Um, we don't even sometimes know it. I, there's, there's varying degrees of humility, of of people who really have embraced this and others that are just super cocky and everyone knows they're that way, but God, underlying all of it in my own heart is this idea that somehow what I do and how much I work at it and the fact that I am this way gets me to deserve something. I pray that you'd crush this in our hearts, Lord. Help us to come to you as children. Help us to love you, Lord, as children love a father and need them. May we never grow from that, Father, in our need for you. And by your Spirit's power, and as you do this for us, we trust that you will save our souls and enter us into the kingdom of God. We are your people crying out, Father, that we can't do this. We believe, but help our unbelief. Make us to understand and to accept and to live that we are those who need you, like a child needs his father. Help us to live and love, excuse me, help us to love those around us, God. Um, no matter who they are. Help us to see them the way that you see them. Father, thank you for your word that teaches us and cuts to my heart and changes us. And, and I pray that your spirit would be at work through us this week. May we see ourselves for what we are and worship you, the almighty God. In Jesus' name.